I want to thank you for listening today. If you have not subscribed to our podcast, please do so and feel free to rate and review us as well. If you live nearby and do not have a church home, we would love for you to come visit us here at Fellowship Bible Church in Jacksonville, Texas. You can connect with us by calling or texting CONNECT to 903-586-6520. If you would like to support the ministry here at Fellowship Bible Church, we would greatly appreciate that as well. To give one time or on a regular basis, you can text GIVE to 903 903- 586-6520. If you live a ways away, we hope you would find a good Bible-believing and preaching church in your area to join and serve in and support. Thanks again for joining us. We hope you have a great week. Well, this month is a special month. Not because it's fall, even though it's starting to feel like fall out there, right? How many of y'all got outside today and just took a deep breath in? It was nice, wasn't it? It's going to go away this afternoon a little bit, but (laughs) don't you love that? Just burst in your bubble. But it'll come back in the morning. Um, But not just because it's fall out, not just because of all the great football that's played this month, and not because at the end of the month it's Halloween, But it's a special month because this month we remember an event that is very, very special for you and for me as Christians. As many of you know who have been with us over the years, over 500 years ago, on October the 31st, 1517, a theology professor named Martin Luther posted a writing on the door of the Castle Church in Wittenberg, Germany, and in this writing... In this paper, he questioned and challenged the teachings and the practices in the church. Now, what possessed him to do this? Well, the more Luther studied the scriptures, the more he began to see how far the church had strayed from what scripture teaches and and the doctrines, the core doctrines of the faith from the Bible. So he made every effort that he could to try and bring about reform within the church by reintroducing these core biblical doctrines of the Christian faith to show where the church had erred. What Luther was hoping was that there would be careful consideration of of what the Bible teaches and a good discussion on how to change things. But unfortunately, what he found was the church leaders in his day had little interest in what Scripture teaches and no interest at all in changing any of the teachings and the practices of the church at that time. So... Instead of opening the door for change, the church closed the door on Luther. And so Luther and many other so-called protesters broke from the church. And and what resulted from that was the start of Protestantism and the spread of Protestant congregations across Europe. And, and, And believers, we've talked about this. We as believers, we as a a church, we are a product, a a result, an outcome of this great reformation that, that took place. The reason why we're here this morning 
with our Bibles in the English language, in our preferred translations, in hand. The reason why we encourage you to, to read and study your Bible week in and week out on your own. The reason why we look to what God's Word says and pattern our lives after the teachings that are found in this book that all comes as a result of the Great Reformation. And so, we have Martin Luther to thank. We have other reformers to thank, but most importantly, we have God to thank, who was behind it all and at work in this important time in church history. So for the next few weeks, for the month of October, we're going to be focused in on the key doctrines of the Reformation. So we're taking a little break from the basement of Rock Bottom and Judges, okay? We will return to that 1st of November and finish that up before before Christmas time, okay? We'll get it finished before Christmas, the rock bottom, uh, basement of rock bottom in Judges. But we're going to take the next five weeks to look at the key doctrines of the Reformation, the key biblical teachings that were reintroduced by Luther and other great reformers. During the Reformation, there were five fundamental beliefs that the, the reformers believed to be absolutely essential and non-negotiable. And so for the next five weeks, we're going to be talking about these core doctrines in a series I'm calling The Five Alones of Christianity. The Five Alones of Christianity. This morning, we're going to be looking at Sola Scriptura, which is Latin for Scripture alone. This is one of the, the core doctrines, the central teachings of the reformers. This doctrine teaches that Scripture is our sole authority, our supreme authority, the authority by which all other authorities are measured. This, this doctrine was the driving force behind the actions of the reformers. Now, a question we need to ask is a why question, okay? Why do we need to spend time on this? Why should this be our focus this morning? That was 500 years ago, Graham. Yeah, the church was struggling then, but, but, but the church got back on track, and here we are today. Why do we need to focus on this? Maybe that's your question. Some might think that, but the truth of the matter is, while the church was reformed in that day, while the church did get back on track spiritually and scripturally throughout the history of the church and to this very day these teachings from scripture that were reintroduced by the reformers have been challenged and have been rejected by many who claim to be Christ followers many of you have experienced this you've seen this firsthand there are some in the surrounding areas here in East Texas who gather Sunday after Sunday who question and even outright deny the core teachings of the Christian faith. Teachings dealing with the deity of Christ and the exclusive claims that He made and whether the Scriptures are inspired by God. In those gatherings, they, they either add to or they take away from the Gospel Sunday after Sunday. I know there are some, some church leaders in the area who say, you don't have to repent of sin and place your faith and trust in Christ alone to be made right with God and be saved. And there are others who say, no, no, it's faith plus good works that make you right. With God. Many believe the Bible is just one among many authorities. 
It's an inspiring book, but it's not divine authority. It's not our ultimate authority, the authority by which all other authorities are measured. They believe many parts of it need major editing and much needed updating. Maybe you feel this way. Maybe that's where you are. Maybe you've been influenced by, by others in the community or by what you've read or you've, you've heard on TV. If this is you, I, I challenge you to stick with us, especially this morning, as we consider what Scripture has to say about Scripture. That's where we're going to go. That should tell you where I land on my views of Scripture. We're going to look at Scripture to learn what we're to learn about Scripture, what God tells us from His Word, and we're going to go to a very familiar place to many of you, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. So if you have your Bibles, turn to 2 Timothy 3. I know this is a familiar text, but this is really the go-to for, for these answers. In this text of Scripture, we learn the nature of Scripture, the usefulness of Scripture, and the sufficiency of Scripture. In the book of 2 Timothy, Paul is writing to his disciple and friend Timothy. It's, many consider it to be one of the last letters that, that Paul wrote. He wrote this letter while he was in prison at, at, at Rome at this time. His days were numbered. He knew that his time on earth was coming to an end. So he writes to his faithful disciple Timothy, whom many believe was ministering at this time in Ephesus. In chapter 3, Paul talks about persecution. He's being persecuted at this time. The Christians in this day, they're, they're being persecuted. They're, they're facing opposition. And he calls for Timothy, his, his fellow laborer, to weather the storm of persecution by continuing to look to and trust in the Word of God. The word that he has been exposed to since childhood. The word that led Timothy to saving faith thanks to the influence of his mother and grandmother. And then he takes time to talk with Timothy about the importance of God's word. So in this passage, we're going to look at this passage. We're going to discuss the nature of God's word, the usefulness of God's word, and the sufficiency of God's word. Let me first read the text for us. 2 Timothy 3, 16, and 17. This is God's word, believers. I want you to hear it. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Let's pray together. Father, what we know not, please teach us. What we have not, please give us. And what we are not, please make us. For your purposes and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. For the rest of our time here this morning, I, I want us to look at each of these points of Scripture. And I also want to discuss what issue forced the reformers in the 1500s to address this issue on the inerrancy and sufficiency of Scripture and why it is important for us today in the church. First, let's begin by talking about the nature of Scripture. And let's start really basic. When we say Scripture, what are we talking about? Well, we're talking about this here, right? We're talking about the Bible. And when you say Bible, it's singular. It's one book, but as many of you know, it's composed of 66 
smaller books. And it's divided in two parts, the Old and the New Testament, with the Old originally written in mostly Hebrew and the New Testament originally written in Greek. And these together, they form this one book, the Bible. And we as evangelicals, we at this church, we as believers believe there is one author. We believe that God was behind the writings and the compilings of this book, but we also know that the book has many authors, right? So it's a divine book, but it's also a human book. In 2 Timothy 3.16, Paul says, All scripture is breathed out by God. Now, when Paul says all scripture... He is probably thinking in his mind at this time of writing it, Old Testament, because at this time many of the New Testament books were, were, were being written, okay? So, so Paul was probably thinking Old Testament, some of the writings of the apostles at this time, but we know that, that God who is behind this writing meant all of Scripture, Old and New. Notice here, Paul says all Scripture is breathed out by God. That is the, the, the word in the ESV. The ESV translates it, breathed out by God. It's the Greek word theopneustos, which means God-breathed. It means filled up with the breath of God, inspired by God. The Bible is God-breathed, which means it carries with it the weight of God himself. It came from him, therefore it carries with it his authority. Very, very important for us to know. Let's say, parents, you leave a note for your child. You're going to work, you're not going to be home in time when they get home from school, so you leave them a note and it says this, I don't want you to turn on the TV, play any video games, go outside and play until what? You get your homework done, right? Let's say you come home and their homework is incomplete and you go outside and they're playing and you ask them, what are you doing? You're disobeying me. I told you not to go outside until your homework was completed. And let's say they respond to you by saying, I didn't disobey you. I just disobeyed that sheet of paper in there. What might that parent say after they discipline the child? <laughs> They would say, I wrote those words. Those words on that sheet of paper carry with it my authority because I wrote them. Same is true in Scripture. To disbelieve and disobey the Bible is to disbelieve and disobey God himself because God wrote it. It's God-breathed. It came from the mind and the mouth of God, but it also came from the minds of men as well. And you see this when you read the different books of Scripture. If you were to spend time and study each of these books individually, what you find is there are different writing styles, different education levels that come through the different books that were written. For example, Luke is, is the educated physician and historian the, gospel, uh, the gospel of Luke and the book of Acts are considered to be some of the most excellent Greek in the New Testament. He had a vast vocabulary. Sometimes it's difficult to translate because you, you have to be a skilled translator because of his wide vocabulary. John's a fisherman. His vocabulary is much more basic. 
That's why in beginner Greek classes in seminary, you start with 1 John. It's a very easy book to translate. 2 Peter, very difficult to translate. Peter was a fisherman, okay? So there's, there's, there's different education levels that show through, and there, there are different writing styles. Paul's very wordy. John's to the point, different. That God's guiding them all and working in and through those personalities and education levels to, to tell us the truth, right? To communicate truth to us. Listen to what Peter said about the process, 2 Peter 1.21. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Peter here gives us better insight into this mysterious process of inspiration. He explains here, men spoke using their own personalities, their, their own intelligence, but they spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So in a divine, supernatural way, God uses human beings to write His words, but as He uses human beings and works through their personalities and their own intelligence to write His word, what He is doing is He is preserving His word. He is keeping His word from error. That's what we mean when we say that the Bible is inerrant. It is without error because it is God's Word who is without error. You see? Pretty simple. Also, when we say that the Bible is without error, it's important for me to remind you, I've told you this over the years, but when we say it's without error, we mean it's without error in the original autographs. We're not talking about... KJV, NASB, NIV, and ESV, what we mean when we say that the Bible is without error is that it is without error in the original Greek and Hebrew manuscripts and is without error in our Bibles in so far as or to the extent that they reflect the original manuscripts. Okay? This is what led the Reformers to stand against the church of their day. And this is what led them to, to challenge the teachings and the practices of the leaders in the church who were embracing these, these false teachings, these unbiblical teachings, and functioning in a way that was counter to the Word of God. While the Reformers acknowledged the, the authority of the leaders in the church, they did not agree that church leadership was on par with, script, with Scripture. They believed that if a church leader was, was teaching something that was out of line with the Word of God, they needed to come in line with the Word of God, under the authority of the Word of God. And because they, they, they believed that the Bible is inerrant in the original Hebrew and Greek, they used the Hebrew and Greek to translate the Bible into the heart language of their people. Luther translated the Bible into German. William Tyndale translated the New Testament into English. Aren't you thankful for him? Gave his life for that. Later, translators translated the rest for us. John Wycliffe early on used the Latin in the 1300s to translate the Bible into the English language. It was Tyndale who wanted the average or average everyday person, the plowman, to know the Word of God as much as the church leaders knew the Word of God. That was his conviction. Very, very thankful for him. But they did not believe that papal authority 
was on par with Scripture because the Bible is God-breathed. It's His Word to us. And this is very, very important for us to believe as well because what we believe about the Bible, listen to this, what we believe as leaders and as a church and as individuals will greatly influence and determine the way we function as leaders and as a church and as individual believers. If you do not believe the Bible is from the mind and the mouth of God, you will not view it as being your ultimate authority, and you will make exception after exception and explain away certain passages, and, and, and you, will, you will explain away those passages that do not align with what you want to be true or what society says to be true, and it will negatively influence the way in which you live. We talk about this all the time. Why do we study theology? Why do we study the Word? Because right thinking leads to right believing, which leads to right living. If you don't think rightly, you're not going to believe rightly, therefore you're not going to live rightly. It doesn't get any more practical than that. It happens all the time in our world today, Scripture being butchered by those who do not believe it to be divinely inspired. It's being twisted. It's being molded and reshaped to align with the desires and the agendas of sinful humanity. May that never be said of us, Fellowship Bible Church. It's in our name. Should be. It's God's Word. We, we are not to, to mold and shape God's Word to fit our agendas. We're to be molded and shaped by it. We're to die to our wants, our needs, our desires, and be about what God wants. That's why we must study His Word. We are not to ignore parts of it that we don't like, add parts to it. We must study it in its entirety, believe it, apply it, and share it with others. Now let's talk about the usefulness of Scripture. Let's look again at 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. Paul says this, all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. So notice here the usefulness of Scripture. First, we're told that, that the Scriptures are profitable for teaching. This is an obvious one, right? One of the primary things that, that we do with the Bible as a church and as individuals is we, we teach it. We teach it. We share it with others. Parents, you have been called to teach your children, to instruct them with God's Word so that they will know how to be saved and live the life that God has called for them to live. We are to teach the Scriptures. Where do we begin? Where do we go in the Word of God? Where do we begin? Well, there are some good books that you can start with. I tell people to look at John. Go, go to the Gospel of John, that's a good place to go, but really you can go anywhere. Pick your book, you'll grow like a weed. Why? All Scripture is profitable. It is useful for teaching. The Bible is also useful for rebuking. Some of y'all don't want me to move on there, do you? You got to. Because we are prone to wonder, at times we need to be rebuked and, and redirected back to the right path, 
the path that God has paved for us. God's word, it shows us the, the error of our ways and calls for us to not swerve to the right or to the left, but to turn our feet away from evil. Proverbs 4.27. The Bible shows us how to do that by first showing us our sinfulness and our, our need for salvation and then showing us how to be saved through turning from our sin and trusting in Christ alone for salvation. And then the scriptures tell us how we are to live our lives in light of what Christ has done for us. Paul also says, all of scripture is useful for correction. Believers, at times, we need to be corrected in our thinking. Those in the world certainly need it as well. The word orthodoxy, it means straight teaching. Ortho, like orthodontist, think of an orthodontist. Straightening teeth, orthodoxy is, is straight teaching. That's what the scriptures do for us. It straightens us out. Where, where we're out of line in our thinking on what God's word says, it, it straightens us up. It straightens us out. It, it corrects us. This is what Martin Luther was hoping, hoping would, would happen within the church. He was hoping the church would be changed from within. This is why he posted his 95 thesis in the language of the scholars in Latin. Many common people, they didn't speak Latin. He was hoping for a discussion among the, amongst the church leaders on where the church had erred and hoping they would, they would come under the authority of the Word of God. It was actually his students who took it down, translated it into German, and sent it all across Europe using the newly invented printing press. So, so that's how God providentially got the word out, knowing how the church would respond. But he was hoping that the, the church leaders would see where they had erred doctrinally and be straightened up in their thinking and in their teachings through the word. The word does that for us. We're to study God's word and ask the Spirit of God to correct us in our thinking and to correct our way of living. This is not always easy for us to do because who is the hardest person to put under the correction of God's word? Ourselves. Better believe it. We're really good at showing where other people are out of line biblically. We love to do that. We can tell you where you're off, but when somebody does it to us, boy, we don't, we don't accept that. Open arms, do we? Proverbs tell us the importance of receiving correction. You know the difference between being a Pharisee and being someone who's godly? Pharisees are harder on other people. Godly people are harder on themselves. Where do you land? There. We need to be corrected by the Word. We also learn that the Bible is profitable, useful, for training in righteousness. The ultimate goal in life, the reason God has made you and me, the reason He has redeemed us is so that we would be conformed to the image of His Son. And that will not happen apart from His Word. So the Word of God is useful. It's profitable for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. The Scriptures are useful. We also learn... From Paul in 2 Timothy 3 of the sufficiency of Scripture. Last point. The sufficiency of Scripture. 
What this means is that Scripture contains the words from God that we need to be made right with God and to live rightly for Him. It's what we need for that. It's what we need to be saved. It's what we need to grow in godliness. Let's go back. We see it here in 2 Timothy 3. Let's go back up to verse 15. Paul says to Timothy, From childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, that's Scripture, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Verse 16, all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Paul says here, the sacred writings, the scriptures are, are able to make us wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. And they're given by God so that we may be complete, equipped for every good work. We, we learn here that, that scripture is what we need for salvation. It's what we need to be complete spiritually. Scripture is what we need to be who God has called us to be, to be equipped to live in the way God has called us to live. That's why we put a priority on teaching and preaching the Word. Every chance we get, we're going to be preaching and teaching through the Word. Why? Because it's what we need to be saved. It's what we need to be who God has called us to be in Jesus. It's got to be priority. It's got to be. It's what God has given us. The Bible is sufficient. What God requires, what He expects, He gives. And you have them right there in your hand. That's what He's given you. Now first, you need the Spirit of God to change you from the inside out and apply the finished work of Christ to your life. We learn from Scripture after the Spirit of God does this great work, after He, through His Word, He does it through His Word, shows us our sinfulness and our need for Christ and shows us who Jesus is and how He has accomplished our salvation. It's all in there. And how we can be made right with God through faith in Jesus Christ. After that, the Spirit of God through the Word of God then shows us everything God expects us to be and do and He gives us the power to do it. He works in us to will and to work. God gives us everything. This passage also means that there is no other revelation on par with the Scriptures. Period. End of statement. No other revelation on par with the Scriptures. Now, can we learn from other materials how to be saved and, and, and how to grow in godliness? Yeah, we've got books that, that teach us about what the Word teaches, and those are fine, but they're not on par with Scripture. When there's scripture in there, that's on par with scripture. You following me? Whatever the material may be, though, we're to take that material and we're to measure it with the word of God. Same goes for the man of God who stands in this place. I am under the authority of the word of God. If I begin teaching something that is out of line with the word of God, I need to be removed from this place. It's my supreme authority. 
It's the authority by which Graham is measured. God's Word is our supreme authority. And whatever fails to match up or goes counter to God's Word is to be rejected. So all other teachings, all other doctrines, all other beliefs and practices are to be measured by Scripture. And this is what Martin Luther was wanting in the 1500s. He saw many of the teachings and the practices of the church as being in conflict with the Scriptures, so he wanted the beliefs and teachings of the leaders in the church to be brought back under the authority of Scripture and measured by it. They refused, which is why he and others embraced this doctrine that said, Scripture is our ultimate authority. It is our highest authority. It is our only perfect authority. And the reason why is because it is divine authority. It is God-breathed comes straight from the mouth of God. And again, some will say, okay, we get it. We get it. What's the use of going over this now, today? While they were struggling with this then, why focus upon it today? I shared with you at the beginning why, but... The answer is really simple. There's always this temptation. We see it in this generation as it has been with the previous generations before us. There's always been this temptation to step out from under the authority of Scripture. A few reasons for this. One is, of course, that people question the nature of Scripture. They question whether Scripture is divinely inspired and question its authority and inerrancy. Many just don't like what it says. It's inconvenient for them, and it doesn't fit their agenda. So they, they either just explain it away completely or shape it to fit their agendas. But another reason we see it in the church today is that while people may give lip service to the Word, yeah, we believe it's inerrant, it's useful, it's sufficient. They prove otherwise in their practice. The Word is absent in sermons, in Bible studies, in our counseling, in church business meetings. It's certainly absent there. In our homes, when we're fellowshipping with other believers, therefore, while some may say that they... they Believe what we taught about the nature of Scripture. They think rightly on those things. They're not benefiting from its teaching because it's not being taught. They're not being taught. They're not being rebuked. They're not being corrected. They're not being trained up with the Word and are not going and doing likewise and they're not benefiting from the Word. And that's tragic because, according to Paul, how are we made complete? How are we equipped every good work through being taught, rebuked, corrected, and trained by the Word of God. I want you to get this, write this down, let this sink in. So very, very important. You will only be as strong spiritually as you are knowledgeable scripturally. You will only be as strong spiritually as you are knowledgeable biblically. You with me? I mean, y'all like hot tea. Anybody like hot tea? Yeah. I, I prefer hot coffee, but I'll have hot tea sometimes in the evening as well. And I, I like my tea strong. Okay. And those of y'all know, to make hot tea strong, you got to let the tea bag steep for a while in that hot water. The longer the bag steeps in the water, the darker the water gets. 
which means the stronger the drink. In the same way, the strength of our faith is directly contingent on the amount of time we allow ourselves to be steeped in the Word of God. We will never be where we need to be as believers and as a church until we get serious about Scripture, serious about reading the Word, serious about studying the Word, serious about preaching the Word, serious about hearing the Word preached, serious about praying the Word, sharing the Word, and doing the Word. Do you value God's Word? Do you believe God's Word is your supreme authority? If you're here and, and you can honestly to yourself, you're thinking, not really, that may be because you do not view God as your supreme authority. If a brother or sister gets on to one of his or her siblings, the other sibling often responds with, I know y'all have heard this before, you're not the boss of me. Y'all ever heard that? Yeah. Many, even though they wouldn't, they might not voice it, they, they deep down, they view this, they think this about God. You're not the boss of me. The reason why is because I'm my own boss. It's the way they live. I make my own rules, I go my own way. While your kids are correct in saying that one sister or brother is not the, the boss of them, God is our authority. And Scripture is clear that those who live apart from and opposed to him will have to face him and his wrath in the life to come. God stands in authority over us all and he has given us his word to guide us and direct us back into a right relationship with him so we can be who he has created us to be, do what he has created us to do, which is to live for him and for his glory. He tells us in his word that the way to him is through his son. He sent his son, Jesus, the word, became flesh and dwelt among us. As John says, John 1.14, he lived for us, he died for us, was raised for us, so that we, through faith alone, in him alone, could be forgiven of sin and made right with God and have life in his name. If you were here this morning and to this point in your life, you have lived your life as your own authority, apart from and opposed to God. You have lived as if you are the boss of your life. I urge you this morning, release that grip that you have on the reins of your life and give your life up and over to Jesus right here, right now. Make Christ Lord of your life today so you can start this new life with him, a life of purpose, a life of joy, under the guidance and direction of his word through the power of his Holy Spirit. Let's pray together.